Good morning, y'all. Well, if I wasn't awake before, I am now. That's right. <laughs> How is everybody? You good? Is everybody awake yet? <laughs> I appreciate your honesty. <laughs> okay, you'll have to bear with me because I am not a good techie person, and you only have me for 10 minutes, so yay! I'm excited. Um, let me see if I can find where we start. Okay. I just wanted to say thank you all so very much for letting us be here. It is quite a privilege, and it's very humbling. I know everybody has said that, but it is not um, something that we take lightly that you've invited us to be here and to share with you um, what God is actually doing around the world, and that is an exciting thing to be able to share. Um, believe it or not, where am I? <laughs> There we go. Okay, we were actually at y'all's very first missions conference back in 2004. Um, so that is us, all of our family, and that is our girls back in 20, 2004. Things have changed a little bit since then. Um, when we were here then, we had three daughters and we were living in Guatemala and coming back to the States was such a treat. And I had no idea it would be such a treat, but it really was. Um, so this was us a couple of years ago. Our oldest daughter is now married. Um, she's married to a guy, Pat told you about him last night. His name is Tyler Patty. And in her tummy is little Judah. Um, and then that's our youngest daughter next to me, Hannah, and our second daughter, Jessica. Um, let's see, Laura and Tyler are actually, Tyler just finished his master's program at Trinity up near Chicago. And he's studying Old Testament and Semitic languages. The guy loves books. I'm just shocked. It's great. <laughs> um, Hannah is studying at UTC. She will become a senior after this semester is over. And Jessica is currently living just north of Miami in Florida and working really hard. And she's going to start an online course for um, graphic design with Liberty University. Well, as you can see, there's an extra name in there. His that says Judah. We thought we would introduce you to him. There he is. <laughs> and this is actually a couple of months ago when he found out that he's going to be a big brother to a little brother. So that was his announcement picture. <laughs> so the second one is on its way, and it is due June 16th. So we're excited about that, as you can imagine. Last night when Dr. Elif was talking about his 25 grandchildren, I thought, Lord have mercy. What, what do you do with all of those grandkids? I'm struggling with just not struggling. I'm thoroughly enjoying our one. So um, we just wanted to kind of give you guys an overview of what uh, the ministry that we have with AMG um, Pat and I are privileged to share in the missions department, I guess is what you would call it. Um, we have the privilege of engaging Christians worldwide in the Great Commission. And how we do that is through internships and full-term um, ministries um, with career missionaries. Um, our internships run anywhere from one month up to two years, and anywhere beyond that is considered career missionaries. So we have the privilege of walking with them from the time that they... Um, complete their application to the time that they retire, some of them. Um, and then also by showing love, support, and care for our missionaries, 
We have 35 different units around the world that we consider missionaries, and most of our missionaries actually work alongside of our national workers. Um, as you know, AMG fully uses the national worker um, army to accomplish the work that God has given us around the world. So um, our missionaries work in support of them in most places. Let's see. The next thing, this is um, an overview of AMG's ministries as a whole. As you can see, there's lots in there. It's kind of overwhelming every time I see this chart. <laughs> Um, but it's just amazing what God is doing. This particular part is our part. So we, um, we get to play this role at AMG, um, and we like to think it's the most important part, but I think if you asked everybody else in the office, they would think that their part's the most important part too. Um, so we get the privilege of helping others follow the Lord into missionary service. Um, we get to care for our missionaries. Have you all heard the term member care before? Member care. Okay, so it's a new word, eh? That's good. <laughs> um, member care means a lot of different things, but primarily you just walk with people. Uh, missionaries are very important to what God is doing with the gospel around the world, and if they're not healthy, you notice I said healthy, not perfect, but if they're not healthy, then things are really difficult, not just for them, but also for the fields that they're on. So we try really hard to make sure that we're in contact with them on a consistent basis, that they know they have someone at the home office that they can call if they need anything or need prayer or struggling with something. As you guys know, relationships take a long time to build. So we're actually in the process of doing that with our guys right now. Um, when we lived in Guatemala, um, we actually came to know some missionaries who didn't have somebody back home. Somebody that they could call, somebody that they could talk through things with, somebody who could give them advice about anything, you know, from where to get your groceries to who to contact if there was an emergency in the country. And it was really sad to watch these families because it's not just a man and it's not just a woman, but it's their kids as well. And they all felt the impact of difficult times. So when we came back from Guatemala, the Lord led us a allowed us to be a part of the ministry then, and he's brought us for full circle back to that place again, and we're really excited, primarily because I think we've grown up a lot since that first time, um, and not that we're done with that, but um, the Lord brings you through seasons of your life, and I think he prepares you for what is next. Um, let's see. I get to share with you a little bit about a couple of our ministries here with AMG. Um, I'm going to share medical care with you. You can see there's five different areas of ministry that AMG has. Currently, in our medical care ministries, um, we have clinics and hospitals in all different places around the world, and it all looks different. It's based on what's in that country. So in Greece, we have St. Luke's Hospital. I'm sure if you were here last year, you heard Tasso Sionidis speak about that. And it's an amazing place. And God is using that in so many lives, not just the people in Greece, but as you know, there's an influx of refugees now. So the refugees are actually learning about St. Luke's and they're treating some refugees there too. And these people are seeing Jesus 
through hands and through feet and through words like they've never seen him before. So the Lord is using St. Luke's in amazing ways. In Uganda, we have a clinic in Bugonji, and in May, we are actually going to open our very first nursing college there in Bugonji, Uganda, too. So if you guys wouldn't mind praying with us, we're praying for staff, we're praying for volunteers. There's just, and Uganda is kind of exploding, <laughs> and we're really excited about that. Um, in Guatemala, we have a rural hospital in a little town called Kubulco. It's up in the mountains, and we minister to people there who don't really have access to care. Um, we have a full-time doctor, a full-time nursing staff, and we actually are just expanding the physical building of the hospital now, so we're adding more beds and more care for these people. In Haiti, we have a clinic, um, which is, have any of you been to Haiti? Okay, great. You know what, I have never been to Haiti. If I were to be honest, I would have to say I'm not really sure I'd like to go to Haiti. <laughs> but um, the Lord is using that clinic there really in amazing ways, too, because these people can't afford medical care. So when they go to the clinic, they're able to get the care that they need without it costing them so much. In India, we have hospitals for leprosy sufferers. We have a hospital called Cadium. And actually, all day long, they take cataracts out of people's eyes. That's what they do. And um, we also have hospitals for HIV AIDS patients, and we have a TB clinic in the country too. Um, so that's our medical ministry. And then for a child sponsorship, the Bridge to Life, um, I just wanted to tell you a personal story. We have a little girl, um, it's, it was fun talking to um, someone last night, Sabrina, are you here? Yeah, she said, we have a son in Haiti. And I thought, I know exactly what you're talking about because <laughs> we have a little girl in Guatemala. But her name is Evidalia. And when we first started sponsoring her, she was five years old. And I remember seeing her picture. I thought, oh my word, she's the cutest little thing. So we took a team and we actually got to meet Evie. And I was so excited. And I thought, oh, I can't wait to hold her. And she comes running up. And I went to go pick her up, and I did not get very far. She is a solid mass of flesh. That's all I know. She is so, the Lord built the Guatemalans in such a way that they can work, and they work hard, and he was not playing around with Evie. So, but she is now 14 years old. Um, she's done great in school, but like most of the other kids, there are a couple of rough patches there. But it was really neat to be able to be here and to watch her grow up and to visit her a couple of times and to see and to sense when things were not necessarily right between her and the Lord and other things coming into her life and trying to steal the good things that God had placed in there. But right now, she's walking with the Lord really strongly. She's actually serving at her church. She helps lead worship there, and she's doing great in school. And not only that, she gets to be a witness to her family as well. So that's just a little bit about those two ministries, and here comes my husband. That's my better half, and I can't tell you. Um, you can imagine what a blessing it is for us to be able to serve the Lord together um, the Lord teaches me so much through Tracy, and I'm so thankful for her. 
I'll just dovetail a couple more stories real quick, and then we'll move on. But on Disciple Makers, uh, she's talking about Evidalia. Evidalia actually attends an AMG Child Care Center in a little area of Guatemala called Philadelphia. And the cool thing about our child care centers in Guatemala, in fact, in most places around the world, is we partner with the local church. So it's not something that we run. The local church runs it. We have a director, and we help facilitate it, and we help coordinate things, um, and we hold them accountable. But the, we actually give the ownership of the project of the child care center to the local church. And so there's a local church in Philadelphia that actually works with them and actually makes sure the ministry is happening um, effectively there in Guatemala for Evie. And over the years, we've, we've been there several times, and we've watched. And it's so cool. God gave us a church near Chattanooga called Poplar Springs Baptist Church. And they came to Guatemala with us one year, and they, they actually had a heart to partner with that local church there in the community that was working with our child care center. So what they've done over the last three or four years is they've sent leadership from, our, from the church, the Poplar Springs Church here, and they've gone down to Guatemala and they've mentored them, and they've learned from both, you know, the, the leaders of the church in Guatemala and the leaders of the church here in the States. And, and so they're collaborating to be more effective in ministry. Talk about discipleship, right? Um, and, and just the, the, to see the response of the, the leaders of the church in Guatemala that are working with our child care center, and how thankful they were that a church in the States would, would come alongside them and help them you know, doctrinally and, and just how to lead well and, and all those things that pastors and, and lay leaders um, need in terms of encouragement and support. So it's been really cool to watch them to walk together over the last few years, and that's impacted Evie's life. Last time we saw her about a year ago, she said, you know, I'm in church every week. I love going to church. I might even want to be a missionary one day. She told us that. So we're very excited about that. The last thing, quick story, media evangelism, just a recent, again, personal experience Tracy and I have had. Um, the picture behind me is actually of a, a girl named Anastasia Papadopoulos. She's Greek. Um, well, she's Cyprian, isn't she, Tracy? She grew up in Cyprus. Um, when she was a little girl, her dad had a, God gave him a burden to have a radio station on the island of Cyprus. And so he built a, a tower just out of his own materials. And everybody kind of criticized him. It's kind of like building the ark, you know? What is this? Well, it's a radio tower. Well, what are you going to do with it? Well, one day we're going to have a radio station. Ah, 20 years later and three Supreme Court battles later for an island-wide license that they didn't want this Christian station to have, this signal now goes around the whole island of Cyprus and reaches the million inhabitants there and the million-plus tourists that come there every year. It's the only Christian station on the island of Cyprus, and it actually reaches all the way to the border of Turkey. So it's a very, very uh, significant ministry in that part of the world, 24 hours a day. And we get letters all the time from people that are out in some rural village on, in Cyprus, and this is what they listen to. And they're coming to know the Lord. Um, and in the prisons on Cyprus, they listen to this station all day long. And we're just hearing these reports of how God's using this. That's just a nutshell of, of 20 years of ministry uh, of sacrifice. Pray for the station. We're praying even now how to sustain it. There are costs associated with keeping that station alive. Let's move on to the Word of God. As we've said from the beginning of the conference, that as Christians, it's vital that we understand God's view of the world. We must also understand God's purpose and our role in accomplishing this. It's an amazing thing, isn't it, to consider that God chose to accomplish his purpose of making disciples of all nations 
through us. And a very familiar verse, Jesus came, Matthew 28, spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the age. You know, the word authority stands out to me. I wanted to talk just a little bit about that this morning. I think that's an issue for all of us. I have, uh, my dad is like 6'2", big man. I didn't inherit that from him. I got my mom's side. She's like (laughs) 5'8", 5'1", Tracy's saying. To see them side by side is kind of funny because he's big and she's little. But anyway, my dad was a high school principal. He was my high school principal for most of my life. Um, I couldn't get away with anything. Let's just think about that for a minute. I really couldn't. Um, uh, he was always in school. I would see him in the hall. Big man, imposing man. All the teachers, all the staff, all the students always respected the authority my dad had as the principal of the high school. He had that air about him, and he was also gifted and a good leader. And so, you know, when you talk about authority, I always first think of my dad because he had that, and I respected him for that. Um, As I mentioned last night, being from AMG, this word authority, there are actually two Greek words for authority. And this one, in this verse, sorry, let me get my notes. Hold on. Too much stuff. All right. Matthew 28, 18, all authority. It's the word exousia in the Greek. It actually means ability. It means power. It means strength. It actually implies or gives the, uh, the meaning of the right to rule. Right? Okay, so power, authority, the right to rule. Think of a traffic cop. Okay. If he went out to direct traffic without his uniform on, would the people pay attention to him if he's trying to get them to turn and stop? But as soon as he puts the uniform on, all of a sudden, there's that authority, that right, that comes with that power to stop traffic, right? This is the word. There's another word for authority in the Greek, and it's in Acts 1.8. And of course, we know this, this particular verse, but I'll read it. But you shall receive power, Jesus is telling his disciples, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, even to the remotest parts of the earth. The other word, power, in this verse is actually the word we get dynamite from. Dunamis, dynamic in the Greek. And this is the power to rule. So there's this might, this power in this word that is actually dynamic. And think about who he's talking to for a minute, because he's talking to us too. Were the disciples considered very powerful at this point in their lives? No, they're pretty weak, weren't they? They're the ones who ran and hid, you know. They needed this kind of power. We do too. But think of it. The bad example of this kind of power would be ISIS, the Islamic State, so-called. They have a lot of power, don't they? But no authority right? There's no authority with their power. 
And so the cool thing about these two Greek words is that in Jesus Christ, we are given both the power, the ability, and through his authority, the right, because he's our authority. That should encourage us to do what this verse says because of understanding these words. It does me. Jesus has the right to rule. He also has the power. He's king of kings and lord of lords. And um, we can certainly go forth and accomplish his purposes with that in mind. Oops. Now, so what? My Bible teacher at Bryan College always asks when you approach Scripture, ask the question, so what? What does this have to do for us this morning on a Saturday morning in April, first Saturday, first day of April? Well, let's think about this for a minute. If the command given by Jesus is to make disciples of all nations, then common sense tells us our job is to find those nations or ethnic groups that have not been discipled. In other words, they haven't been taught to be followers of Christ. And so for just to define some terms, it might be helpful. People group in the Bible or ethnic group in missiology is the largest group of people within, the gospel, within which the gospel can spread as a church planting movement without hitting barriers of understanding or acceptance, such as language, ethnicity, ethnicity, religion, culture, history, referred to as people or nations in the Bible. Okay, reached peoples, again, Talking missions here, people groups with a population of more than 2% indigenous local evangelical believers to evangelize and disciple the remaining non-believers. So in missiology, a reached people group, this is how they define it. There are at least 2% local evangelical believers who can carry on the work. So unreached peoples, who are these? There is no indigenous community of Christians with adequate numbers and resources to evangelize their own people. Less than 2% evangelical. So here we go. We're all familiar with this. But the issue is then, if we think about this in these terms, is not necessarily lostness, but it's access to the gospel. The vast majority of unreached people live in an area nicknamed the 1040 window, which is a region of the world between 10 degrees and 40 degrees latitudes from West Africa to Eastern Asia. Of the more than 2.9 billion unreached people in the world today, about 97% live in the 1040 window. Less than 1% of these unreached people live in North and South America combined. It is estimated that 10% of foreign missionaries today are working to reach these unreached. In Chattanooga, I don't know about here in Albuquerque, I imagine it's a little bit different, but in Chattanooga, we have churches on every corner. We have four Christian radio stations. We have two, three, four Christian colleges. We're so saturated with the gospel in our area. We're reached. My neighbor, who does not know the Lord and who we're developing a relationship with, he and his family, they don't go to church. They're pretty lost. But if they wanted to hear the gospel, they could hear it, right? We all know people like that. And so here again, unreached people are not more lost than your neighbor or family member who does not know Christ. But they're unreached in the sense that they do not have an opportunity to hear the gospel. The issue is not their lostness, as it says here, but their access to the gospel. I'm trying to help us think now. Yes, we want to reach lost people, but what about the people who can't even hear? 
Just imagine yourself as one of these people. There's no church you can attend on Sunday morning to hear the gospel. There are no bookstores where you can go to purchase a Bible. There are no Christians that you can go and ask about their hope in Christ. In fact, you'll live and die and never meet a Christian, and there's no mission effort focused on reaching you. You're living in a sea of people as one among millions. You're utterly unengaged with the gospel. You have no access. Martin Luther King Jr. said, nothing in the world is more dangerous than sincere ignorance. And that proves true in our global strategies for advancing God's kingdom. We must take the time to educate ourselves on the state of the world and evaluate our efforts in line with God's command to make disciples of all groups, all people groups. We should celebrate all the advances that have been made in proclaiming the gospel throughout the world while also taking on the challenge of reaching the people groups who are currently without access Certainly, this is a daunting challenge, but with God, nothing is impossible because this is what God has commissioned his church to do. Paul and Lois Jinks, many of you know them. They're serving now in Thailand and Indonesia, Southeast Asia. They were, Paul was the president of AMG for many years, almost 20 years, and then they returned back to where their heart is in, in Asia. They spend most of each year now in either Thailand or Indonesia. They're just now returning from about four months in Indonesia and Thailand now. Buddhism is a faith of 95% of the population of Thailand. In the 1040 window, there are 275 million unreached people in 227 people groups that would be considered Buddhist. You want to know how many workers there are? 13 currently for every 1 million Buddhists today. And that's in the whole window now. What do Buddhists believe? Buddhists believe in reincarnation. And that one must stop the cycle of rebirth as a suffering, selfish individual and must attain nirvana, which is the highest point and the end of the self. Karma is the belief that good deeds and behavior will be visited back on individuals as well as bad deeds and behavior. This is the basis for living a good moral life. If you go to Thailand today, these are the sweetest people you'll ever meet. They're so hospitable. They're so caring. They really are. They're sweet people. But they believe this, and that's why. This is works, isn't it? There's no hope here. There's no security There's no peace in this, is there? Back in 2006, I was able to go to Thailand for the first time, and I met these kids. Aren't they beautiful? We have a kindergarten that Paul and Lois started years, years ago up in northern Thailand. And I just want to read quickly a little bit about it. In the late 1970s, thousands of Laotian refugees sought safety in the northern Thai province of Nan. At that time, workers of AMG went to help these unfortunate people by introducing them to the truths of God's word while providing child care for their young children. Out of this refugee work, an outreach for the Thai children of surrounding areas was organized and implemented in the remote district of Mechurim. At that time, the roads were terrible. There was no electricity, no running water nor any telephone communications with the outside. To meet the needs of these impoverished families in the area, AMG began operating a child care center in December of 1981. 
During the first few months of operation, the children were dirty, sickly, and frightened. Paul and Lois tell the stories of them going in there. And Tom's this big, tall guy, right? Big, white, tall guy. (laughs) And the kids were literally afraid of him. They were scared. They'd never seen a white man before. But after a few months of nourishing food and with the emphasis on hand washing, clean clothes, and better hygiene, these kids became much healthier. Their parents were impressed, and other families wanted to have children enrolled too. Today, the the children attend AMG's Grace Kindergarten, which is a fully recognized Christian school operated by dedicated Christian teachers. The elementary students attend a government school where AMG provides a hot lunch program, book fees, uniforms, and an after-school and Saturday program, which supplements the education of these children. Middle school students and training center students live in a Christian environment provided by AMG dormitories. While they attend the government schools, they receive their meals, school uniforms, tuition, and book fees. The local church, which was started by AMG workers, helps the Christian dorm parents provide a Christian atmosphere for the children at each phase of the program. And these are some of our staff that are up there that I met when I was there in 2006. And in this way, AMG is reaching out to the Buddhist community. When AMG first arrived, there was no known Christian in the district. Today, the members of some families have trusted in Christ and are joining with the local church to win others for him. Uh, The gentleman to my right in this picture, his name is Perdit. I won't even begin to try to pronounce his last name. (laughs) He's one of our national workers in, in Thailand, and I just wanted to introduce him to you because he's a precious man, one of our national workers. Um, he's a dormitory leader. He's a teacher. He's a discipler. He has a prison ministry. He does outreach to the children's parents where they meet. Many of them are involved with drug abuse and have a lot of issues in their homes, and he's actively engaged in the villages surrounding the, the area. There are 107 Hmong children in our hostel there in Thailand. And uh, it's an amazing thing that Pradit, uh, all these years, his prayer is that we would have at least 200 in the, in, the, in the hostel, in the dormitory that he oversees there. These kids would not have an education or these opportunities, certainly to know Christ. They come from the mountain areas around uh, Nan and Mitcherim, and they come in and, and for their education. And it's an amazing ministry that God's raised up there. Um, and I just wanted to introduce it to you to give you an idea of some of what God is doing through AMG in that part of the world and we could go on and on, but for time's sake, I did want to share a picture with you. This is By Grace School uh, from when I was there in 2006. This was the original uh, facility where we have uh, 300 or so children today. Of course, it's much prettier today. It has plants and all that. Uh, a funding partner helped build this facility, and we're praying to continue to sustain that ministry today as a lighthouse, really, in this part of Thailand. It's a very, very rural area. Uh, and it's an amazing ministry that's, that God continues to use. And Paul and Lois are very engaged there. And this is a picture taken by a group that came from Hoffmantown last September. Um, Eric Brewer was part of that team. Jimmy and Fran Stribling. Here they are singing praises at By Grace School. And this is a picture, if you can see them, I don't know if you can, but you have to look pretty closely. But there's Eric and Jimmy's in the back kind of standing up. Right next to Paul is Fran. She's not much taller than the kids. So you can't really see her very well. Uh, but there she is. So we're touching hearts and lives of Buddhist children in Thailand who otherwise would what? Have no access. Then he said to his disciples, Matthew 9, which so enjoyed Tom sharing this last night. Harvest is plentiful. Workers are few. Beseech the Lord 
Wrap yourself in that prayer, as Paul shared with us, I mean, Tom shared with us last night, that he would send forth laborers. This is something that all of us can do, and that's my point here praying. Jesus knew that not all of us would be able to go physically to the ends of the earth and make disciples. However, he did expect us to play our part. God empowered every believer with an amazing ability to join God in directly and dramatically affecting real change to the ends of the earth, and it's called prayer. I just want to read real quickly from you, you know, for you. You know from Matthew 6, um, when that disciples asked Jesus, how should we pray? He said, pray this way. Hallowed be your name, Father. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done as it is in heaven. You know, think about it this way. Uh, Steve Hawthorne, who's a global author and mobilizer, he said this about the Lord's Prayer. He said, this prayer is not a statement of praise. You know, we often think of this as as Jesus actually praising his Father. He said, it is explicitly a request in in the original language. He's saying, Father, sanctify your name. To paraphrase, he's saying, Father, lift up, single out, exalt, manifest, reveal your name to the people of the earth. Become famous for who you really are. Cause the people of the earth to know and adore you. This is a prayer that can be prayed most thoroughly in the global dimension that Jesus taught on earth as it is in heaven. How exciting it is to know that even right now we can join God in seeing his singular purpose and passion brought to fulfillment through prayer. So I would challenge you to pray that way. Begin praying that God's kingdom would come on the earth and his name would be glorified throughout the earth. Just as I begin to close here, Tom, I'm trying. This is on our first front page of our website, amginternational.org. If you go to the bottom... You'll see some opportunity, a button where you can click on opportunities. And that's what's on your table. There's a sheet that has some blue blocks on it, mission crossings, mission journeys. These are internships and longer-term career opportunities to serve with AMG. We really appreciate your praying because what happens when people pray for laborers, God sends them. And I just wanted to share one individual with you real quick who actually responded to an opportunity. His name is Jared. And this is what he wrote when he responded just from that same page you're looking at. He sent me a note, and he said this. He said, these past two years, I've had the opportunity to, send my, to spend my spring break on a missions trip to Peru with AMG. Through these trips, I've discovered a little bit what missions is like and is something I see myself doing. As an early childhood education major in college, I have the heart for serving and teaching children, and I think there's such a big need for that for undeserving kids overseas. I personally don't think that teaching at a school in America is what God is telling me to do, but to take my passion to another country and show the love of Christ to all those around me there. Missions is something that has been on my heart over the past year, and I really do believe it's something that I want to learn more about and possibly do with my life. Isn't that exciting to receive something? Tracy and I get stuff like this regularly, and it's such a blessing to see young people and all the likes take that step of faith and say, you know what, I think God's calling me out. To go and be active. You know, we all make sacrifices, don't we? We all sacrificed to be here this morning, didn't we? We gave up something probably. Yeah, we had breakfast and, you know, we're enjoying obviously talking about missions and what God's doing in the world. And, and many of us sacrifice in many ways for missions. We give sacrificially oftentimes. But, you know, the real sacrifice is when we actively get up and we go. Whether it's here locally or around the world. That's, that's a sacrifice. 
And sometimes God's calling us to that, isn't he? And I'm not speaking specifically of AMG. If, if God touches you to respond to something on that sheet, that's great. But it might be something else here at the conference that God touches you with. And God's saying, you know what? This is what I want you to be involved with. I would just encourage you to take that step and at least pursue that and see what God has for you there. Okay. So think of the word. Give me a second. I have a little three-minute video I want to show you as I close. But this is something, this is vision, looking ahead. Something that AMG, we didn't produce this little video, but it's something that we're involved with on the field now and actually looking ahead to be a part of. It's the next frontier of missions. What you're going to learn from this video is that the opportunity to, to continue and even expand in greater ways the Great Commission is right in front of us through the global church. You know, we're having a mission conference here at Hoffman Town, and we're mobilizing, right? Well, there are churches all over the world that don't do this. They don't even understand missions. National churches, have, we're ready, and they're waiting. Sure, they've come to Christ. They know how to do church, but they haven't been taught missions. They haven't been taught God's heart for the world. So let's, let's pray about participating in what God wants to do globally to mobilize the church. Okay, so think of the world as a big triangle. One end is closest to Jesus in terms of access to the gospel, and the other has the least access. We'll put the gospel here, at the narrowest end. Now, we can divide the world up as follows. Roughly one quarter is Christian, at least by name, and the rest is not. Over here, on the widest end, is a section that represents the millions upon millions that don't know anyone who knows anyone who knows how to point them to Jesus. This part of the world has no access to the gospel. It's almost like they have no chance at knowing Jesus. Okay, so let's move back to the Christian population. Here, a slice of people understands the importance of sharing the gospel and love Jesus so much that they want others to know him as well, especially those at the other end. From this group, we have seen the modern missions movement emerge over the last couple hundred years. Their goal has been to take the gospel where the strategic need might be the greatest, learning language and culture, and spending lots of time and money to achieve this. That's been called frontier missions. In the past, a majority of missionaries have come from developed Western countries, like the U.S., but the times are changing. In fact, the U.S. now makes up less than 10% of the global church. So, 9 out of 10 Christians are from places like China, Brazil, Ethiopia, Jordan, Ukraine, and other parts of the rapidly growing global church beyond North America. That means that there are huge pockets of worship all over the globe, places that have traditionally been the mission's field, that now have the potential to be powerful mission's forces. Perhaps the reason that Christ is not being worshipped in most of the world, and many people still have no access to the gospel, is simply because the bulk of the church has no mission, no chance here, no worship here, because there is no mission here. So, 7-9, by God's grace, is discovering and impacting the new frontier in missions, the frontier of mobilization. Mobilization. Now that's just a fancy way of saying, pointing people who know and follow Jesus to entire groups of people that don't. There are Jesus followers here, just waiting to be mobilized, who might even be more effective at reaching those who are sitting only a couple cultural steps away. That's the best part. We are convinced that the next and perhaps final push in missions is coming out of Asia, Latin America, Africa, and the Middle East. 
Imagine if the bulk of the global church understood God's missionary heart and aligned our vision with His. Imagine if we all took up our roles in God's story and went to the millions who have no access to the gospel. Jesus is impacting cultures all over the world, and missions fields are becoming missions forces. Let's join together and empower the expanding global church. Let's resource them to reach the rest.